You are Locked On Marlins, your daily Florida Marlins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. Today we're going to be talking about some gold glove opportunities for the Fish. They have Miguel Rojas nominated at shortstop. The team has never had a gold glove winner at shortstop, even with Alex Gonzalez there, Adani Echevarria there. Some of them had been in consideration, but nobody had won it. Brian Anderson at third base is a finalist as well. Both of those are going to be very difficult to win, and I'll get into some of the things that will go into the decision-making when it comes to the gold glove winners. I think gold gloves are a cool award, and I, I wouldn't really change much. It's just one of those things where it's so impossible to quantify, especially in today's game where you have so much shifting, so much moving around, and it's just difficult to find consistent stats that can really indicate who is a better fielder than the other. I think it's good when you look at defensive run saves, outs above average. Those things will tell you who is good and who is bad, but when you're separating now finalists, that is where things get really tough. And remember, the gold glove is voted on by managers, and so they can't vote for the players on their own team. And so a lot of it's the eye test as well. I'm sure that they take this seriously and they'll look at some of the statistics, but a lot of coaches are kind of take themselves away from things like that, especially when it comes to advanced stats. Some of them do. It's different in today's game. But I'm, I'd like to think that most managers would – probably make their own decisions based on what they see and what they think rather than looking at UZR or outs above average or any of these crazy statistics that help but ultimately aren't the end-all be-all. And especially in today's game, it is so hard to know know, who really is the most elite fielder at each position each year. You add the fact that this was an abbreviated season. You add the fact that the Marlins specifically shifted as much as any team in baseball. Things get difficult. But the fact that the Marlins are even finalists is awesome. To have two Marlins there and two guys that are part of the heart of this team in Anderson and Rojas, I would say that outs above average is going to be a solid statistic to look at. But when you look at it, in the past, it's often been an indicator towards who will win the Gold Glove Award, but not always the fielder with the most outs above average will be the guy that wins it. And that's where, again, we have to go into things that make it difficult to even know what is considered. I will say with Brian Anderson, it is very cool to just even see him in the same conversation as Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado, who are two of the staples of defensive third basemen before Matt Chapman was in the picture. It's all you would hear about is Arenado and Machado, two of the most exciting defensive third basemen in the game. Brian Anderson has made some incredible plays this year and was really good all around at third base. He's been great in the outfield in the past, ultimately a plus defensive third baseman. There's no disputing that. When you look at the numbers this year, in terms of outs above average, Anderson comes in at second in all of baseball with four outs above average. 
The only guy above him is Nolan Arenado. Ooh, again, we know how good Arenado is. And then Isaiah Kiner Falefa, which is one of the more unique names in baseball. He is in the American League, though, so not an issue for Anderson, but he was the only guy that was tied with Anderson when it comes to outs above average. But then when you look at fan graphs and things like that, it'll be kind of cruel, I guess, to Brian Anderson, giving him a negative defensive rating. And that's because I think fan graphs is a little bit dated, which I never think I would ever use the word dated referring to fans graphs, which is one of the most progressive analytic sites when it comes to baseball. But because of their system and their really the way that they approach fielding and analyzing fielding, with shifts now affecting so many things, Fangraphs very much lean to on UZR, and UZR has become pretty useless in a lot of ways with the shifts and with the just differences in sample size and so many different things. So it makes it a little bit more difficult to be more precise. Ounce above average is a good baseline and success rate. Nolan Arenado, a 95% success rate. And when you combine that with the estimated success rate, so this is baseball savant data, which again, I can lean on more than anything else. The success rate added, I like, because they generally give, based on StatCast, a a percent chance of every ball that you should have of fielding it, or at least the average position player, wherever they're playing, what percent chance that they should have at fielding that baseball. They kind of do the dirty work for you there. And, And to see what the estimated success rate is and then the success rate added I think is one of the better ways to determine that. Arenado, look, I, I think Arenado is going to run away with it as the gold glove for third base this year again, and he <laughs> seems to always do run away with it. That's what he always does. He's just absolutely incredible there. He added 5% of a success rate at third base, which was tops in the bigs tied with Kiner Falefa. But the seven outs above average is almost double everybody else, which is insane in itself. He's got range to both sides. He already has the pedigree of being a guy that is a fantastic defender. And you figure nobody's going to dethrone Nolan Arenado. Machado, on the other hand, a little bit below uh, Matt, or Matt, sorry, Brian Anderson. When you look at some of the same figures, outs above average, he's one less at three. Two different spots in his range. He was subpar, which I think should be a little bit of a red flag, depending on if coaches or managers are looking at this when they vote or not, but he struggled a little bit going to his left, which I thought was interesting because we've seen Machado so good on the backhands and overall just good as a defender. And he had a great year when it comes to success rate because of the fact that he had a 95% success rate, just like Nolan Arenado, but his, I guess, projected difficulty of balls was not that high compared to some of the other players. He had a 92 estimated success rate at 92%. That's going to be a little bit higher than, actually a lot higher than everybody else. That's the highest in baseball. So I guess, I don't know if that goes into shifting, and I apologize for not knowing more about this. I spent a lot of time reading up on it, and it's just so hard. It's so arbitrary. And at the end of the day, it really goes down to the eye test, and then things like this is a tiebreaker. And I think when you look at Machado, when you look at Arenado, those guys are always going to excel in the eye test with the name pedigree, though Brian Anderson did make some flashy plays. Overall, I think if Brian Hayes had a chance to play this entire season, he would have had a good chance at being the 
third base gold glove winner if he had a chance to play more. I, I'm so high on Cabrian Hayes of the Pirates, and he should be there and in that conversation next year. So Machado had the 95% success rate, 92% estimated su- success rate. So when you look at the success rate added, 3% for him. Same with Andy. He had a 3% success rate added, but his estimated success rate was only 89%. I would say that's largely due to the shifting that the Marlins have all the time. He had to make some tough plays that were out of the typical range you'd see a third third baseman extended to, and that's why he had the lower estimated success rate compared to most other players in that position. Four outs above average, though, puts him right near the top. I just don't know how anybody can dethrone Nolan Arenado, especially with just another absurd year. Also, Anderson had a couple fluky errors, and in a shortened season, that kind of affects your uh, fielding percentage more than normal. Obviously, when you have less attempts, only 146 total defensive attempts this year, that's not really going to give him a fair shot to be able to nullify those errors a little bit more. So if you make a couple bad errors in one game or two games in a 60-game season, your fielding percentage is going to be just much lower than a guy like Arenado who's probably going to be more consistent, and you're not going to be able to make up for that as much. With the shifting, Anderson has plays registered at shortstop. He has outs registered at second base. So he's been all over, and that's the weird thing is He would actually have five outs above average, but one of them is taken away because of a mistake he made at second base. So you could really put him at five, which would put him alone at number two, because I don't think Kiner Falefa really shifted around as much. I know Manny Machado did not shift around much as San Diego does not tend to do it as much. And that's another thing. It's just why do we have to factor all of these things in? I don't even know if managers bother anymore. They might just go with the guys that they thought looked the best. And that kind of leads me into Miguel Rojas, because Rojas is another guy that passes the eye test, but when you look at some of the advanced metrics, his are even worse than Brian Anderson. Of course, that comes from a smaller sample size. So I'll get into that in a second, but a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar has 18 delicious flavors, some of the new ones including caramel brownie, you got lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, just to name a few. They're healthy and they are great for a guy or girl that is looking to maintain weight or lose weight while still indulging in a delicious treat. They're covered in chocolate. They're easy to chew and really all under 200 calories, all under six grams of sugar and net carbs, high in protein, roughly 18 to 19 grams of protein, depending on your flavor, and just fantastic health facts for how good they taste. And for a limited time, you can get 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com by using the promo code LOCKEDON. That's promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com for 20% off your next order and a free cooler while supplies last. So generally, I am used to being more informative and being able to talk about something where I can give a strong perspective or at least spark some thought. But with this, it's so darn hard. And I had to talk about it just because of how interesting it is that the Marlins have two players now that are finalists for the Gold Glove. But I kind of wanted to use this as a primer to talk about the fact that it's going to be difficult for either Marlin to win based on the guys that they're going against and also just how arbitrary these awards can be at times. I don't know what the go-to is for some of the voting, but I would venture to say that a good rule of thumb would be that you look at the unlikely plays, the remote plays, and the impossible plays 
that have been made and what percentage of them, which Fangraphs keeps track of. The unfortunate thing is Fangraphs did not do it for this 2020 season. So there's no stats or breakdown on how many difficult, impossible, or remote, or even just likely or routine plays that were made, what the percentage was, and all of that. They didn't do it this year in the shorter season. I think that would have been one of the better indicators because, again, we're talking about something that factors in with an eye test on those who are voting on who wins the gold glove. So when you're thinking about the fact that they're going to be going off of what they saw, it's important to probably consider the fact that this would be one of the better indicators in impossible, remote, and just probability plays. Is that kind of points towards both. And it's almost, I wish that we could see a Sports Center top 10 plays index, although there's some bad fielders that get on the top 10 plays quite frequently, or it's subpar fielders. But it, there, I just don't know what else would go into deciding who wins, other than name, pedigree. You look at the basic numbers, outs above average, and outside of that, it's really just a toss up, and anybody can win it. And that's the frustrating thing about the award. I will say that Brian Anderson puts himself right in the conversation, being ahead of Machado and outs above average and behind Nolan Arenado only at that. But then when you look at shortstop with Miggy Rowe, again, I'm just so happy that he's a finalist after the offensive season that he had. And we know how good he is, at least when we watch defensively. His UZR is solid, but with how much the Marlins shift, it's hard to really be able to give value to that UZR. And baseball savant really doesn't give Miggy Rowe too much credit compared to some of the other fielders when he only has two outs above average compared to somebody like Fernando Tatis, who isn't even a finalist, at seven outs above average. So you wonder if Tatis is only seven, or is as high as seven outs above average and not a finalist. Yeah, Tatis made some more errors than other players, He had some difficult plays, and his estimated success rate was 83%, meaning he was tried a lot, (laughs) quite often, and added 6% success in the field, whereas Miggy Rowe only added 1% because his presumed success rate was 92%, and he had a 93% success rate. So I don't know how much that matters. I would say that it's a decent indicator because of the fact that the estimated success rate is basically quantifying what we deem as plays that should be made versus plays that are tougher to be made or shouldn't be made and what percentage of those that they were able to complete. But when you look at Miggy Rowe, nothing really jumps off the paper. I will say that one thing that he is near the top at is starting double plays and turning double plays. And given his smaller sample size, that's impressive. But the Marlins, again, that could just lead towards something about your pitching staff getting more ground balls. And you can't really give a guy an edge based on the opportunities he had because some other guys might not have those same opportunities what goes into it I don't completely know and that's where things are frustrating with this award in general Javi Baez another guy that is a finalist for this award four outs above average this year at shortstop three runs prevented which is another important stat Miggy Rowe with only one run prevented out there and then the other finalist which Dansby Swanson, when you look at defensive war, according to baseball reference, he is right there at number two in defensive war behind only Nolan Arenado at 1.4. But then baseball savant has Dansby Swanson at negative two outs above average and adding a negative 1% success rate. So I just 
it's so all over the place that it frustrates me. And I, this is one of the most frustrating podcasts I've ever put out because, again, I generally like to come to a conclusion, give you a take, give you something I believe. The only thing I can say is that I would be shocked if either of those Marlins won. Based on the fact that it's a smaller season, the figures are just so weird nowadays with the shifting and all of that stuff that I'm just enjoying the fact that two Marlins were finalists for a Gold Glove Award and two guys that deserve it. Anderson's value just continues to rise, being a Gold Glove finalist, and now his second straight year with an OPS over 800, I continue to think that he's going to grow before our eyes he could be the type of player that really clicks offensively at the age of 30 where he starts tapping into some more power. I'm still expecting a 30 home run season from Brian Anderson once he can play 162, and that should come. But now that you're considering the fact that he is a very good defensive player at the hot corner, this is a guy the Marlins need to lock up and they need to figure out when they're going to do it and how much it's going to cost because you need to have some continuity with this team. And Brian Anderson... Well, he's not the quote-unquote face of your franchise, he can be the face of continuity and the face of the rebuild. Somebody that stuck it out through it, that survived it all, saw the worst, now is enjoying the fruits of the rebuild, hopefully, as the Marlins go into next year and try to do better. Same thing with Miggy Rowe. And that's why you got to keep those two guys around. If you want to build somewhat of a culture, you got to do that. But does Brian Anderson being a Gold Glove finalist, does that help him with his contract negotiations? I'm sure it'll help a little bit, but the Marlins already know how good he is defensively and his versatility just adds more to the mix. I just really wonder when it comes to this voting, what it's going to take for a Marlin to dethrone either of these more defensively known you know, studs. When you think about Javi Baez and the just quality, quality reputation he has as a defender, he also had a terrible year offensively and still was good with the glove you often see guys that struggle at the plate some years. The defensive struggles kind of make their way into the game as well as they bring those offensive struggles out onto the field with them. Javi didn't do that. And I'm not saying he deserves credit for that but or should get a leg up for that, but he does deserve some credit for still being able to be a, a positive win player when he's not hitting well at all and still being a really good defensive shortstop. Does that give him a leg up over Rojas? No. I, I honestly think that Rojas could be right there with those two guys, just the pedigree of the other two and the emergence of Dan, Dansby Swanson, what the Braves did this year, the flashy plays, and all of that stuff added in. Miggy Rowe, smaller sample size too because he only played 39 games, so it's not going to be enough. And when you make those three errors in 39 games, I just don't think that you can give a guy that played roughly half the season a chance to win over a Javi Baez or a Dansby Swanson. So I would be absolutely shocked if Miggy Rowe won. And I would say that Anderson has a better case to win the Gold Glove Award based on what he did, based on the larger volume, and based on some of the outsider stats, the eye test, and all of those things. But the struggle is that he's going against two of the most well-known and just with the most clout, defensive clout that you'll find with Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado. Like those are the guys you, if you're bored on YouTube, you look those guys up to see what kind of defensive plays they've made. But still, something to be proud of for the Marlins and a really good defensive side on the left side of the infield, which is got to be a confidence booster for any pitcher on the mound. So we expect to have both those guys on the left side of the infield. You imagine if Jazz Chisholm's at second base 
and the defensive ability he has at shortstop is a fairly above average shortstop. You figure he'd be a well above average second baseman. Lewin Diaz as a gold glove potential first baseman. That's a really darn good infield. Then you consider maybe some Lewis Brinson in the outfield, some Starling Marte in the outfield. This could be a very good defensive team. And when you look at the mold of some of the better teams in baseball that are lower payroll, it's defense, pitching, and bull, like bullpen pitching as well, and just timely hitting with some guys that can run into baseballs. Look at the Rays. Look at Oakland. That's what they do. The Marlins are starting to follow that mold, and I think that the defensive side of things is really getting better and better. And that was a weak point for the Marlins in the past. The last couple of years, they had not been great defensively. I think with all the turnover and a lot of different players coming in and out, even in the years prior with the myriad of different outfielders in the past, that makes it harder to have that continuity and have consistently good fielders out there. But if Monte Harrison figures it out and you have Lewis Brinson out there, you have Marte out there, Dickerson is a liability in the outfield, don't get me wrong. But the rest of the team is is very good defensively. We'll see who the catcher ultimately is. If you imagine, if they could get Salvador Perez, a multiple gold glove winner, with Anderson at at the hot corner, Miggy Rowe at shortstop, Jazz or Isan Diaz at second base, I'd say Jazz has the leg up defensively, and then Lewin Diaz at first. That is a fantastic defensive infield. So I apologize by not being able to really break down this uh, gold glove race as much as I'd like to. What I would say is just my take on this is they. I don't expect either to win, but it's a testament to how good they were defensively this year to even be in the consideration to be a finalist in a game and in two positions where there are a lot of very good defensive players. So it's definitely something to be proud of if you're Miggy Rowe and if you're Brian Anderson and a pretty cool moment for the Marlins to add some accolades, even if they don't win it. I still consider it an accolade to be a finalist in what was a special season. Hope you enjoyed this episode as always, and I look forward to talking more Marlins baseball with you on Monday.